0: I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning.
1: Good morning, Jill. The meeting actually began with a moment of silence in honoring one of the great leaders in the city of Boston, Mel King. Uh, Mel King, as you know, he ran for mayor, he was uh, involved in our legislature, but he really did so much for education in the city. He was really influential in bringing technology into our school system. He did so much for so many families in Boston. His life was an example for so many of us who want to have an impact in the city of Boston. So he, it was a great opportunity to honor Mel and his service to the city.
0: Mm, he'll be very missed. So here's my summary headline for the meeting last night. Tell me what you think. The largest central office ever leads to more administrative errors and kids opting out of BPS in various ways.
1: Could be accurate, Jill. It could be accurate. Let's, yeah. let's jump into why you would uh, state such a headline. On to the rest of the meeting. The superintendent began the meeting by discussing another error that was made with the exam school policy implementation. <laughs> so Boston Public Schools sent out notification to families in early April. Yep. Their students were either eligible or not eligible for the exam schools. right? And this, I saw this notification go out and families learned that, okay, I I may be eligible for an exam school or I'm not eligible for an exam school. And therefore, I, I have a sense now as I wait to, to see if I actually can take the next step and my students' MAP scores will be then submitted and then all the points will be added up, and I'll see if I get into an exam school. And so, when you
0: when you found out that you were eligible, then you could say, "I am going to apply, and I'm going to apply to one or all of these schools. These the three exam schools."
1: It's a little more it's complicated, but in fact, the families apply to the exam schools and other BPS schools not knowing if they're gonna get into an exam school or, or any school. So you, you have to apply to multiple schools. So
0: that's the point at which many parents now have started to also apply to private schools. And, and families it's have too applied, complicated. sure. Yeah. Families
1: have applied to to MECO, they've applied to private schools, they've yep. applied to, to charter schools, Catholic schools, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, there's a few problems. First, the problem of timing. BPS owns a miscalculation. They said not only did we miscalculate, but the third party auditor who we hired miscalculated. And ultimately that's gonna delay a little bit. We have to go back and check and make sure that everything is right. And that's gonna delay the time when we get back to people around their what schools they get into.
0: So by the way.
1: Yeah. And I mean in the meantime, in yeah. the meantime, Jill, like all the private schools and other schools have offered students. Seats, you had to basically pay a deposit yep. and take a seat. And BPS is way behind this process, right? Way so, behind. so, so
0: they just lost a bunch of well, students.
1: Take take problem number one, where yep. we've lost eight thousand kids over the last decade. Yep. It doesn't seem like BPS is doing much right. to care that they're losing more students. They've mm-hmm. addressed this issue in the past. They said this is way too late. We're really concerned about it, and nothing has changed. No, uh, the school committee, the, the school committee said, "Hey, we we want to move this up." And lo and behold, it's not moved up. Nothing has changed and errors are being made. Yep. Let me talk about number two, Well, Jill. can
0: you just also mention how it wasn't anyone within BPS or at the auditor's office that realized they made a mistake? It was a parent.
1: Totally. So Jill, this is right. So, this is really highly concerning. Yeah. BPS made an error. The auditor made an error. And then a parent raised it with the school system and said, I th- actually think my child may be eligible. And then the school system went back and, and looked at it and said, Oh, geez, we made a mistake. Jill, this is so, so concerning for many reasons. Let's start with this. This Office of Data and Accountability helped to create this new policy Mm -hmm. that the school committee voted on and that they knew was going to be a challenge to implement and they knew they had to put safeguards in. This is the group that put the policy in in the first place. They ran all the simulations. And assured everybody that this policy was a good policy, mm-hmm. and yet they can't figure out how to calculate a GPA.
0: Well, that just was mismanaged by more than one person. Obviously, if both the auditor and BPS, like the BPS, got it wrong, and their backup check got it wrong. Sure. So, saw so this I'm is gonna, like kind of beyond the unintended consequences what, 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 that Michael O'Neill warned about a couple of years ago. I yeah.
1: Think. Yeah. I mean, is, is this just another unintended consequence, or yeah. is this the fact that you can't? You have a department that's in charge of data. And accountability that makes math errors right and who knows what i have no idea jill was it all wrong last year too yeah we have no idea the tip of the iceberg here right and the further problem is the more this happens the more you lose trust in this system to actually follow through with what they're supposed to do jill i was on a meeting this past week where the exam school office did a webinar for families on the process Mm -hmm. and I, i can tell you jill they were so exact and confident in what they said. In fact, they were saying to families, if you don't take the map on this date and you don't get the do zone come in until this time, you will not absolutely not be eligible. There was no flexibility. They were in, completely inflexible in what they said and so adamant and confident in every word that they said. Yeah. And then this is the action we get back here, Jill, right. is oops, oopsie, we made a mistake. We're going to be a little bit late. We miscalculated and we have to do it over again.
0: Yeah. Are, are you Are you kidding me? So there were several school committee members, Ross, who agreed with what you're saying and who expressed discontent in various ways. Here's Michael O'Neill. Here's what he had to say.
2: This body has spent a lot of time on the exam school issue over the past few years, disproportionate to the number of seats in the exam schools relative to our overall district. It's fair to say the chair has pointed out many times she wished that we spent the amount of time on the other seats that we had spent on exam school.
1: And then, Jill, just let's add on Chair Robinson.
2: I would have loved to have joined public comment this evening to express my concerns and dismay
1: with this. Jill, here's what I would say. I would say both Vice Chair O'Neill and Chair Robinson are really upset about implementation of this policy. Yeah. Because they've spent... it, It is embarrassing. Yeah. Absolutely embarrassing. I would say to them, though, Jill, hold somebody accountable for it. Right. How about some rather than the school system has gotten really good at apologies. Yeah. They've gotten really good at saying, OK, yeah, this is hard. We are going to do it better. We heard it with payroll, number payroll. Yes. We we're talking about it for weeks. Yes. BPS said, well, it's really hard to do payroll after a new contract, even though we've been doing it for decades. And we're going to do it better next time. We're going to add staff and do more next time. Here on this one, we heard the superintendent this is really hard. It's a really challenging policy. We're going to do better next time. I mean, come on. How about accountability? Well, how you know about it goes else, in the evaluation? I
0: mean, just to throw out some solutions here, you know, one of the things that school committee should do school committee really is there to hire and fire the head of BPS. Their job is really to oversee her work. She, there are not folks under her who can manage really important things. She needs to hire some people she cannot run around and solve all of these problems on her own it's not great to spend a lot of time in board meetings apologizing and making excuses for things that went wrong hire a team that can manage this stuff proficiently you know you've like we have a massive central office and if these sorts of things keep happening then you need new people you need very good managers
1: you need people who do math you need people who can follow the policy you need people who can ensure that people are paid. You need people who can ensure that when you do enrollment data, the numbers are correct. Well, you because need people, you lose trust. Yeah, if you, you, don't you, you need things. people to get school buses to kids on time. Like right. these are basic functions that the school system cannot do. So where we are now with this policy is, is in fact, there's about 26 students that the district has identified who are no longer eligible. Mm-hmm. I, I would say like, let's not focus on the 26 students and that's really problematic. And by the way, the school committee members were really concerned about these 26 students because I think they know that there's a concern around where they're going to go to high school. The travesty, Jill, here is that the school committee members were so concerned about the 26 kids who may not get into the exam schools because they know, as Chair Robinson has said previously, that the other high schools are not going to prepare our kids well
2: for the future. I mean, Chair Robinson, we could play that quote, said this. Even when we sit at the valedictorian's luncheon, that we know that even though they are the top of their school, it doesn't mean that grade-wise, they're all ready to go and be successful at college because what those grades have meant are very different.
1: We should be concerned that we spent all this time moving kids, getting more equitable access to the three exam schools while we have so many schools and we'll talk about this transformation schools that are in the bottom five percent of our state we should be highly concerned that our district pays lip service to us meeting after meeting about the mistakes that they have made rather than doing their basic job period
0: yeah So, All right, let's move on. So a couple of other things that Superintendent Skipper talked about in her superintendent report. One is um, she had a great statement about her trip down to Washington to a meeting held by the Council for Great City Schools where she said, you know, everyone's complaining about the fact that it's really hard to hire people. And she says this as, you know, she submitted a budget that has piled on a number of new positions on top of hundreds and hundreds of positions that have gone unfilled Over the course of the year. Here, you know, the issue is really not having vision. If we know that it is very hard to hire educators right now, then we have to look at other ways to problem solve. But just putting a bunch more slots up on the book and saying, hey, we've got the positions, we just can't fill them because no one's applying or no one wants to work in the districts anymore is going to just lead to lots more excuses. And much more discontent.
1: This came on the shoulders of our last meeting where the reason there was concern about the budget is that it was not sustainable and that there was too many FTEs being added to central office and to schools when we had so many vacancies. And essentially, we're pulling people out of positions in classrooms and putting them into other positions. And our hundreds and hundreds of kids have uncertified teachers in front of them. Right. And the superintendent then, she just raises this and says, well, I was in D.C. And, uh, you know, we all were talking about how hard it is to fill positions and use ESSER to add FTEs. I mean, Jill, come on. Like that. Got, how, I wish she would have gone to D.C. a few months ago so that maybe that could have been changed in the budget. But, you know, here we go. I mean, the superintendent also said last night that she's adding these positions that were highly controversial Mm -hmm. in the public during the budget process. Mm -hmm. So the superintendent has these positions that are sort of these community connector positions. And in the budget process, there was a lot of public input that these positions may add to the school to prison pipeline, because in fact, they may be not just community connector positions, but they may be catching kids doing infractions that are small infractions that may be used against them in inappropriate ways. And there was a lot of public debate around this. The superintendent said last night that she's adding these positions into BPS. But she was said very clearly, but don't worry, we're not using the BPS budget. They're not in the BPS budget. The mayor has reallocated funds to add these positions to BPS.
2: There were some concerns uh, raised by the community about the positions um, that I, I really do want to address and clarify. I want to be clear that these roles are not funded by BPS. Um, we did our budget process. Um, the city is reallocating the funding for these BPS positions.
1: Well, Jill, th- that wasn't the debate. Nobody asked, no during the budget process, nobody said to the superintendent, please don't add these positions. We don't think you can afford them. They said, please don't add these positions because we think they may lead to Unnecessary consequences for our kids, right. and this was a clear bait and switch, Jill. This was the superintendent saying, "Don't worry, they're not in the budget, but but I'll do what I'll still add them because I want to, or somebody well, wants to."
0: She suggested that it was the mayor's office. Sure, that, the, the, that, that it seemed changed like, the way that their budget would be allocated in order to make sure that there were officers in schools. They're not addressing the issue. If, if they're getting pushback from the community, they have to hear the community. They need to have that conversation with the community. And you know, at the same time if they're going to make, you've got to justify where you net out on the whole thing. You can't kind of string the community along saying you're going to do one thing and then do the other thing at, at the last minute. At
1: the last meeting, Jill, during the budget meeting, the yeah. superintendent was adamant that these positions would not be included in the budget. Right. She, after the budget's over, superintendent comes out and says these, these positions are now included. It is not okay. Yeah. It is not okay. Yeah. It is not okay to blatantly move around the public discourse, to ignore people, and to tell them you're not going to do something, only to turn around and do it. Yeah, it's not okay.
0: No, it's not okay. It again leads to discontent and lack of trust. It's a bummer that every time we have one of these podcasts, you know, we have to talk about discontent and lack of trust.
1: It is such a bummer. It, it is it, it the amount of energy. Emotional energy yeah. to deal with this school system is unbelievable.
0: So moving on, Ross, can you talk about we had a public comment? There was a, there were a number of parents that came out to talk about the Henderson School. Do you want to just talk a little bit about what's going on over there?
1: As we've discussed, there's a lot of concerns around this really important school in our district, which is one of only two full inclusion high schools in our city, and this school has been, again, as we've discussed previously, sort of the the international example of how to have an inclusive school. In the past couple of years, there's been a lot of concerns mm-hmm. around how the school is being run and the vision and um, the focus of the school. And so there's now an intensive effort to set a 90-day plan for the Henderson where families have had input and, and board members have had input and, and the district has set forth three priorities for the school. And it seems like there's now a new, very intentional focus on helping to stabilize the Henderson School and continue to support its innovative model. And then it came out, Jill, last night that there was these positions that are going to be added to the school to stabilize it, to support the students. And we did hear in the past that there's been about, there's in some grade levels, there's like 25% of positions that are actually not licensed. There's been a huge hiring problem there as well. Right. But the superintendent said, we're going to add positions to the Henderson School to help stabilize it. It turns out, Jill, that these positions that were added were the wrong positions. At least in the way that
0: they were posted.
1: In the the way that they were posted. So somebody made an error in the Office of Human Capital, or supposedly made an error in the Office of Human Capital, Posted the positions as non-inclusive positions, right? Really, positions that are not part of an include the, the inclusive school model, which led to parents saying, "Guys, come on! Like, we just had all these all these meetings. We just said we're going to move forward in this way, mm-hmm. and then you posted positions that are not the right positions. And so it took our deputy superintendent Eccleson to come onto the call and and say, again, uh, an error has been made." We apologize for the error. I will correct this error tomorrow morning at 730 and make sure it's right. But it just does get exhausting when the basic functions of a district can't be followed through. And I, I can't imagine how it feels for the families and the students and the staff in uh, at the Henderson School. And then, and then, Jill, in addition to the hearing from the Henderson parents last night, we also heard from families at the Sumner School saying that that merger is still problematic The Sumner-Philbrick merger, this is around communication with the families, and they're still very concerned. And then we heard a few comments last night, more than two, Jill, that there was phone calls being made to families at the last meeting before public testimony. So we heard that the district was reaching out to families when they signed up for public comment, trying to get information about what they're
2: signed up to talk
1: about or what they may
2: say. These administrators were asking what these parents were going to give testimony about. BPS should not be seeking intel from impacting families or intimidating parents into not sharing their voices.
1: Jill, that's inappropriate. It's inappropriate to use your position in Boston Public Schools to reach out to families and to talk to them as soon as they sign up for public comment. No matter the the motive around that, Jill, it does feel a little bit like intimidation and silencing, trying to silence the public voice.
0: So- Moving along, the only presentation last night was on transformation schools. So, Ross, do you want to talk a little bit about what a transformation school is and what the headline was here?
1: Sure, Joe. So transformation schools are essentially a definition by the Boston Public Schools of schools that are concerned about going into turnaround status, which is where the state comes in and intervenes in those schools. And turnaround status it, it allows schools to essentially have flexible contractual guidelines. It allows different compensation, Bring state uh, brings, funding in. Brings, brings state funding in, ha- has more a longer day, so on and so forth. Transformation schools are about almost a, a third of our district. They're the lowest performing schools except for the turnaround schools. And the idea here is to prevent them from going into turnarounds by giving an explicit focus on these schools to help them improve. I have a couple problems here first, Jill, around this presentation. First is the presentation starts off with who's in these schools about a third of our students are in transformation schools. And they start off by saying the highest need students are in these schools. And I get, we got to be careful here, Jill. That shouldn't actually not be an excuse for why these schools are transformation schools and say, well, the reason these schools are lower performing is because our most needy students are in them. But it should be a call to action. It should be a call for all of us to say we can't let these schools fail. These schools cannot be the bottom five percent. They serve our neediest students. They deserve to be the best schools in our system.
0: It's a lot of schools. It's a so, lot of schools. So it is actually just they are schools that are representative of the students in our district.
1: The sense of urgency around these schools. Yes. You know the the reason they're presenting to the school committee is because they're required to by the Department of right. Education. Yes. And. They're they're required to report a quarterly report. I can tell you, like what we hear about the strategies in these schools is just like a strategy in any other school. It's like have a focus, follow through on the focus, and do better. Know but, who
0: every kid is, make sure yeah. that they are taken care of based on what their needs are.
1: And they're sort of articulating a long term plan to for improvement in these schools. I'm I'm for one, I'm tired, Jill, of mm-hmm. hearing about long term improvement when we have students in schools. Who are in failing schools. I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't have patience for it. I also, what I don't have patience for, Jill, is when we talk about success being like a couple percent drop in chronic absenteeism in these schools, to me, that is not enough.
0: The students agree with you because they are very chronically absent.
1: We've been digging into this chronic absenteeism data. And in our high schools, there's over 50 percent of our kids are chronically absent. That that is over 10% of days over the course of the year. Of those students, Jill, the average number of days that a student misses who's chronically absent is 31 days of school, Jill. 31 days. That is like six weeks of school missed by these students. Like literally, you can't learn if you don't go to school. And that's what's happening in our district. Our district has our overall average is over 40% of our kids across K to 12 are chronically absent. They are not coming to school. Yet we add more and more teaching positions. We lose more and more students. The students we do have are not coming to school. That's the state of our system. So I would say for transformation schools, the thing we should do is try to get our kids to come to school. What we're seeing from the data, Jill, is that our students feel disengaged. They feel like their school is not a place for them. They feel like the teachers don't care about them. They don't have a connection. The curriculum is not connected to to who they are as a learner. They're not motivated to go to school. They feel unsafe when they go to their schools. Those are all the factors that we hear from our students about why they don't want to go to school. We need our well, students to go also, to
0: school. Uh, yeah, and also their their mental illness, and also you know a number of them in the high schools got jobs during COVID and are making money out in the real and, world. And, and, and,
1: and it's better and, to go to it's better to make money than go to school. I well, guess if school you don't belong to. Here's the thing: to. like
0: just know know the state of your student body and reorganize the district and its services around those things. Right? Like if you have if you have you know uh, hundreds of kids working. Then provide virtual school options for them. You know, you like you have to meet Jill, students it, it, where it, they it, are and and where their needs are, it, and we're we're not doing that it, right it, now. And you're talking about I just want to clarify where well, you're talking about over sixteen thousand students who are in this situation. Over sixteen thousand students in, in Boston city,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It it is horrifying, Jill. Yeah. It's horrifying, and yet we have the same models that we had pre pandemic. Right, nothing has changed. Right, all we do is blame somebody else. So what came up last night also is. There was a conversation around how do we th- how do we know what's happening or how do we get better ideas and how do we learn more about what's going on. We heard from this is a slight switch here, but Dan Rosengard, the head of transportation, when he was asked, "Hey, you've gotten more bus monitors in the last you know month. How were you so successful?" And Dan, let, let's listen to what Dan Rosengard said. It was an idea that came out of one of the uh, one of the
2: city council hearings in the fall uh, where where a number of families of special education students spoke at the hearing and and shared some of their ideas to to better reach the community. And and this was one of them. So we appreciated that and hope hope to build on it.
1: If we actually stopped and listened to other people, we heard ideas or other alternatives, potentially we can solve these problems. Right. But we have a district who literally had this problem with with with, uh, bus monitors for almost a year. Right. And then they said, Oh, wait a minute. A parent had an idea at a city council meeting. We're going to try that out. Thank goodness they listened. Yeah. And thank goodness that parent came. Thank goodness, by the way, Jill, that that parent with the exam school uh, called policy the called the superintendent and said, Hey, guess what? Because we would otherwise have no idea.
0: And it, I, I think it might, they're missing a, a key ingredient here because Diego Meta, who's the student representative on the school committee board, said this last night around the conversation about chronic absenteeism
2: there's less student engagement when students are having trouble in school period and so that just makes it that much harder i
0: i couldn't believe that no one on the committee asked a follow-up question yeah right yeah. cuz
1: he's right in front of you he he has
0: he's in the school yeah
1: he he's, knows how students are feeling yeah um and if you listen to him you potentially could Begin to fundamentally address this chronic. He's
0: suggesting issue. that you know if a student starts to have trouble in school, they no one is there. Like they they, they stop supporting the student, and the student disengages. It's like totally makes sense, yeah. right? And and there's a solution in the articulation of the problem in that way. But nobody on the committee either was listening and heard him, or was interested in digging a little deeper. And yet you've got. You've got a representative of the customer. You, know, you have a student sitting there telling you what part of the problem is. It, like, yeah. You've yeah. got a focus group that you could at least dig into a little bit and say, okay, you know what, maybe we need to go deeper here too, because it does seem that when school committee listens to their community, there's great answers.
1: That's right, Jill. And if you do listen, you come up with some good ideas potentially and some innovative solutions. And that's what the district is is lacking right now. Now, Jill, one other thing happened during this transformation presentation. Chair Robinson asked a question about sustainability, and so let's let's play that.
2: I share concerns of others of taking away funding from schools as they are exiting, um, turnaround because obviously it was the the use of additional resources that allowed them to achieve. And I think we need a different kind of attitude of maybe trying to look at what does it really take to fund adequately a school with students that have high needs.
1: So Jill, Chair Robinson is asking, once schools are successful, how do we sustain them? Jill, I would ask the chair to take a step back at this point. Madison Park High School, Jill, Mm. which is one of these transformation schools, one of the most important schools in our city, has 60 unfilled positions, right? 60 vacancies at Madison Park High School. right? I would say rather than talk about what additional funding we can put into schools to help sustain them, is first we should put teachers in schools to actually teach our kids. We are in such jeopardy here in a school system that this requires the utmost focus
0: or, or rethink the ratios. Like if if because the you know the pushback there is Ross. They, you know, we can't hire anybody, right? We've posted the positions. You can't hire anybody. So then you've got to rethink the ratios. How many students need to be supported by a teacher in what ways, right? Who are certified, and who else can we bring into the district in order to support them in other ways, right? And what is the balance there? And do we have too many schools Are some of the schools too sparse right. is that like like it really like you're the, you're, it's, you're getting right at the core of the problem this
1: is what dr alkins raised last night right? in, in response so, you know he said he said isn't there an opportunity here where we should begin to think about combining schools yeah. or combining resources isn't there an opportunity for innovation and that's what i think came out of this meeting last night is that There needs to be more innovation. There needs to be different ideas. We need to stop the blaming of others for our circumstances and take ownership and control. And Jill, I would just offer one other thing. The school system really needs to do its job of basic services. This failure around data, somebody needs to step in. Something needs to be done. But this, this system cannot be relied upon to analyze its own data, to implement its own policies. It seems to be incapable in its current conditions of doing so.
0: And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting.
1: We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shahfoundation.org. That's
0: Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.